Hey, Sports Dev Series, welcome. Yeah, we traveled from, where were we last time? Goodness. Yeah, Abuja, Nigeria, all the way down to Winter Park, Florida. <laughs> and here we have a guest. Uh, he's a friend of mine, played college football with him. I see the Winter Park High School logo right there. Uh, Craig Russell, he's, uh, he, he coaches football and also uh, handles strength and conditioning for Virtually almost all the teams at Winter Park High School in Central Florida works with wrestling, football, soccer, cheerleading, um, also runs a nonprofit, um, has a lot of years in coaching and development in football, and um, we feel privileged to have him here today. Craig, what's up, man? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I appreciate the uh, the spot. It's, um, you know, I'm humbled. I, I like to think I'm one of the luckiest persons to to do do what I love is just fun, and it's it's gotten to the point to where now I'm in the I'm one of the older coaches, which is a trip, and I still think there's so much to learn out there when it comes to trends in athletes. You know, athletes change almost every year, and the trends in strength and conditioning change, and the climate. Of, I mean, we're in a pandemic right now, so it's a yeah. whole different athlete getting groomed. I mean, you think about the youth. The kids, there's a there's a generation of kids that are having their first sports experience in a pandemic. And yeah. that's I think that's gonna, you know, that, that's that's huge. And it's across the world. So yeah, I'm honored, man. It's a, good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you, brother. Listen, I haven't seen you in a long time. I live in Toronto. I haven't been down to Orlando in a minute, but I need to I need to come down once this uh Donald Trump tagged China Chinese virus Oof. ends. <laughs> yeah, next week you, you uh, after uh, next week you can book book your plane ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I need to come down and come check it out, man. I kind of miss Central Florida a little bit, but you know what? Speaking of Central Florida, there's one question I always ask. I always wondered because you know, how in high school football, you have the different. Um, high school classifications based on your school size, right? So you have 2A, 1A, 3A, 4A, 5A. I think Winter Park is what, 6A or 5A? Uh, well, they've upped the classifications now. We're, uh, we're 8A. 8A, 8A is the okay. largest. Yeah, largest. 8A is the largest and down to uh, down to 2A. Yeah, because you guys are a big school. So, I mean, when you when you look at that, and in, in terms of competition and, and training and development, um, clearly, the numbers would favor like an 8A school, right? Like your school. But is it, it does it always translate into competition in the sense that does an 8A school always beat a 4A school? Or how does that work in terms of I know I know typically they don't play, but right. you know, the, in terms of talent. Classification, it's a um the thought process is is um yeah, it's it's you would think that the numbers would be in the favor of the 8A schools, but mm -hmm. in the same sense, you know, the private schools are the smaller schools, so they are governed by different rules in regards to recruiting. So with the public schools, who are typically the larger ones, they they can't recruit. They can't recruit, it's illegal. And uh, but the private schools, they can go out and recruit and offer scholarships for the kids to give scholarships or waivers to come in and go to that school and essentially play. So you get the right staff in there. They can make make a team and be the trend that, you know, make a make a powerhouse team. So to answer uh, your question, the um, one could argue that the larger schools don't play 
the smaller schools a lot, unless it's a crosstown rivalry, because the there's talent everywhere in Central Florida, and but it it doesn't benefit the the eight A schools to play a four A school because and it's nothing to do financial, but it's just the um, the reputation. So for we go out, let's say we go out and play a um, like a, a Jones, for instance. Jones best teams mm-hmm. in Florida right now, you know, but they're oh yeah. Yeah, Jones got really? some Yes, yes. For those who don't yeah. know, I coach. I coached at Jones at one point. I remember. So, um, that's that's why. Yeah. That's why I mentioned Jones because wow. you know Elijah Williams. He went over there and took the program over, and it's he's done a fantastic job. And they got talent all over the place, but it's a smaller school. So mm-hmm. we go in there and get beat by a smaller school. It's like, oh my gosh, the the juggernaut, the big goal winner part gets beat by by Jones. But on the other other side. You know the eight A school. It's like, oh, they're well, they're eight A. They should beat up on the the two, three, four A schools, and it just because parents look at that kind of stuff, and parents will move hell or high water to get their kids into, into the, the best right school. school, right? So it's 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 a tug. So again, I kind of got off the point, but there's in Central Florida, the, there's town everywhere. Uh, you know, I think the schools historically will have a certain type of player um, and they'll be good for a long time. They'll they'll hold their reputation for a long time. The Winter Parks, the Edgewaters, mm-hmm. the Dr. Phillips, the West Orange, the um, maybe we have 2021 20, going on 22 metro schools in Orange County alone. And that's just Orange County. And most of those schools, if not all of them are 8A. Okay. Um, so it's there's a lot of wealth to be spread. Um, so that it's they'll keep the classifications as is, and there are very few eight A schools that will be, you know, you know, terrible programs, so to speak. Yeah, so. yeah. So I mean, so you mentioned, um, you know, the private schools being able to get the best athletes, and so they put up a formidable squad. So, and you're referring to schools like the uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in South yeah. Florida, and, and and the Bishop Moores and those schools. So. Maybe not so much Bishop Moore, right? But maybe St. Thomas Aquinas, right? But but Bishop but still. Moore, but, but still, with the uh, with those rules, it goes. It's so depending on the sport you're talking about. So yeah, if you yeah. like, for instance, Bishop Moore, they had a good football team. They had a run uh, a couple of years ago, and it was just that they were able to get a lot of those guys are zoned for Winter Park, but because it's Bishop Moore, Winter Park is unique in the fact that even though it's an eight A school, the biggest um, competition they have for parents going to other schools. We had, there's five schools that are private within the vicinity that those parents can choose to go to, and they can afford it because it's an affluent area. I mean, we have you know, Masters Academy is it's you know it's about the furthest, about seven eight miles away. But then you have Trinity, you have Bishop Moore, you have um, there's Lake Highland. So these are all. They're good schools, good institutions, and yeah, it, it would just be a matter of the right coach getting in there and turning it into a, a powerhouse. You know, Bishop Moore's at the same staff for a while. He does a good job with with getting kids, and you know, there's the 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 stigma of well, they're stealing kids. This is a kid that they get in with the Pop Warner programs, and you know, they quote unquote steal the kids and and this and that, but. It's it's up to the parents. The, the parents are looking to give their kid the best opportunity to go to a good school for whatever reason. 
So is David is David Oliver still there? A Bishop Moore? No, no, he's 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 long gone. Uh, he's around. Um, but he um, you know who's who does a good job at um, local sports is uh, Harry Myers. Harry is Harry um, Myers, Coach Myers. Yes, right, right. He yeah, uh, yeah. he he's a he's one of the best <laughs> throw coaches in the South, and he and weightlifting coach, girls weightlifters and their throwers, they're they're big time. He does a great job. So with his background in strength conditioning, it it's hold over well within the high school weightlifting and um and the throws and, and track. He has a handful of girls at discus and shot putters and does a good job with them. Yeah, he's always been into throwing though. Even at UCF, yeah. he always talked about throwing. But let me ask you this. I mean, in talking about this recruitment and identifying the right talent to put up a solid uh Winter Park football um program. How do you guys go about it? So you're not allowed to recruit. You right. know, you, you, you kind of do you pay attention to all the you know, there most middle schools don't have football teams unless it's changed, right? So right. how do you identify kids within that age range that maybe don't live in the Winter Park area of Orlando or that central or central Florida and then you, you know, but they're close enough where you know, you kind of want to bring them in. So, for instance, if a kid stays in, I don't know, Paramore, mm. and you know, <clears throat> parents are pro- maybe interested in coming into Winter Park. I don't know if you that, can talk about that, but is that <laughs> is that, we don't. Is that we, that, see that's that's the thing we we don't we there's rumors around where we're always in the news for for recruiting and going out, and that we don't hold camps, we don't. Um, knock on doors. We don't because mm-hmm. we can't. And to be honest, we don't have time. I mean, we don't get paid for that kind of stuff. And so the whole recruiting aspect is just you put out a good product. You put out a good product, and we're fortunate enough to be at a good school. It's easy to sell one apart to to anybody. Oh, yeah. We don't, we don't yeah. have to say anything. So there's no there's no selling involved. There's no hey, come to Winter Park because we can do this this and this for your kid. No, we create a culture here that gets marketable. The the name is. It, it tells itself whether they play football, they play soccer, whether they cheer lacrosse or they're in the IB, they're in the band program, they're in the theater. Parents are going to want to bring their kids to Winter Park High School. And we're fortunate that, you know, they're they're athletes, you know, and there are times where we've gotten kids that are in poor situations at their current school. They're good players and they want the parents, the families want to have a better situation. So we've had, you know, upwards to, we always have recruits, not recruits, but we always have transfers that, um, you know, come to the school there for dozens of different sports. And it's not just football. And we have kids that leave. We have kids that transfer out or get recruited, out, whatever you want to call it. You know, we have kids leave also because there's, it's, it's competitive to, you know, there's only one football. Everybody wants to get the ball. Yeah, or yeah. Um, if the parent feels, though, the situation is ideal for their kid, so they move out. We, I think we have just as many, if not, um, it's comparable, the amount of kids that would transfer out at different times as we do have kids transfer in. So, And it's going to be every year. So we stay sense. above board and by the book. So, Yeah. And when kids, when kids kind of transfer, if, kid, if a kid decides to come to your school, then essentially that parents would have to move closer yeah. to that mile radius, right? What's the mile radius? How, how close do you have the, to you? Uh, the school zone is, it's, they have to be within the school zone. So that's, um, the county sets the school zones. 
and it's it's been set for for a while so they have to live within the zone and not be their their residents and they get their residents they care we don't we don't we can't help with any of that stuff it's just and they'll come by parents will come by kids will come by and say hey so could we do they want to do tours they want to do this and that but in public schools this is just stuff we can't do and yeah it's well they come by and we can be polite but we'll direct them over to administration and make sure that they do all their do what they're supposed to do and you know the the extent of that we don't have contact with them we don't can't talk if they're not a student here and enrolled we can't have anything to do with them as mm-hmm. and it's more it's like we're, we're dodging haymakers left and right kids come to they come to the games parents send us emails they get our numbers hit, hit us up on social media to say hey my kid is this and that but it, to me that's flattering because they follow what we've done for other kids and they want to be a part of it so we're we're welcome to it um so. no i mean you know it, it totally makes sense every parent would want what's best for you know their, their, their kids you know they would want them to go to the best schools where they get the best education uh, best opportunities mm-hmm. and unfortunately i just think florida's not just Florida, but a lot of places are set up in such a way where, you know, you go to school where you live, kind of thing. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, totally get it. But but Although, go otherwise. The uh, sorry, just the last yeah. point on that. If you look at, you know, the Broward County, Broward Dade County, that Miami area. Yeah. It's the trends. It all it takes is one Pied Piper, and so that's why one year Columbus will be good, and then yeah. they'll get mad at a coach or something, and they'll have a whole thing and then they'll leave and I'll go to Killian or they'll go to Northwestern or, you know, and it's just a group of these pockets of people. And what's funny is, is that they're governed by the same rules we are. They're mm-hmm. an FHSA sport, yeah. but yet the, the accountability and the compliance, it's just hard to manage, you know, because the parents will move mountains to get their kids at where they feel as though it's the best situation for them. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a struggle. And we're as a, as an educator, you know, my job is teaching. I'm a teacher. So to get caught up in something like that, it's not, it's not worth it for me, you know, to jeopardize. They'll take your teacher's certificate gets taken, taken away. Um, you get fined and it, it's, there's, there's 4,000 kids at the school. Why do I have to go out and search for anybody else? It doesn't make any sense. But yeah. it's it, it's a problem nowadays because parents are they're more prodigal than they are, you know, local. It's it's yeah. tough in certain areas to. Yeah, but private schools don't even have to deal with that at all because they're not under that yeah. umbrella, right? So they just get whomever they want. Mm-hmm. They get in their yeah. school. They can go and talk to. Talk to they just yeah. It's yeah. They give them yeah. a scholarship. You're welcome. You come through. And, and that's the end of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of sports, and like I said, the school typically will have the sport that is, you know, the, the quote-unquote favorite of the powerhouse. Like, for instance, Lake Highland, about 10 years ago, um, you had a staff get in there and start a wrestling program. I've been 10, 15 years ago now. Lake Highland's wrestling program is now a nationally ranked team tour. They've exited the FHSAA because they only – travel they have two teams and they only travel nationally because the state of florida the competition 
it, it's not what they're looking for. So not to say it's not good, but it's not what they're looking for because they they do it's it's private. So they have their club fees and they have their admission fees, and it it pays for them to go all over the country. The, some of the wow. best wrestlers in the country are, are there. That's right down the road. But yeah, their football team. I couldn't re- I couldn't tell you the last time their football team was in the playoffs or or you know they've struggled over the past couple of years. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's interesting, man. So the four thousand kids you have at um, Winter Park, they go to mm-hmm. school there. You're trying to put together, you know, a great squad for the next season. How does that work? So do you just see a kid, you know, he's fourteen, he's six one already. Looks like he has a great build, and you try to get him. How does that? How does that work? You just put up flyers. You say, "Hey, you want to?" Here it's and and regionally because in this area there aren't as many. Like we don't have we don't have big kids. You know, it's yeah, because yeah. of the zoning or whatnot for whatever reason. It's just you know certain areas have a a history of having certain types of kids. You know, we um are so the first if I see a kid walking around, he's six threes. 200 pounds, that's the first thing I'm going to do is, hey, let's come play football. And odds are they already do, you know. So the um, what's what's difficult is when you see an athlete, you know, and you can you can eyeball an athlete, whether a skill guy or a lineman or at this level, um, a bigger kid, you – the obviously the other sports are – they may play another sport. But getting the multi-sport athlete at this level in this day and age is difficult. So, I mean, there are basketball players that we've had, um, or I can think of a dozen of them. You know, all is 6'5", 6'4", you know, 230, 40 pounds or so that never play football. And it's, yeah, and it's because, well, I have AU, I have club this, club that. The club sports if continued to be in certain areas, if continued to be fostered and promoted and they, they'll destroy high school athletics, hands down, you know, talking about like, um, AAU, uh, what's the name of the other, there are a couple of them. Yeah. The a, I mean, AAU, even the, um, the, even, even the soccer clubs around here, the soccer club, the volleyball clubs, the, um, in some areas, the uh, lacrosse clubs up in North Florida, you know, kids will opt to play baseball is huge travel baseball. You know, if they opt to not play high school because um, scouts, they, they go to showcases, you know, the public, the schools aren't going to go to showcases. The clubs will go to showcases. You know, you have a, a club coach that says, Hey, I have tournaments during this time, the same time during high school season, then, you know, a parent's going to feel like, well, if I want to get the proper exposure for my kid, we're going to get in bed with the club because the club is going to provide an opportunity better. And, and then you get into the club politics of pay to play and who's the best club and the, the coach and then they're club chasing. And so, and arguably, yeah, arguably there are certain sports that because that's been the, the, the culture, it's always going to be like that. So like high school soccer competition, I mean, you you would know it's in this area. It's it's not club, you know. So, and the the showcases are where the the scouts go to. They don't go to high school games. They go to showcases. Yeah, and yeah. like like the Disney showcase, correct? Right, right. Yeah. We had our um 
our our girls soccer coach a couple years ago, he had a showcase here for some small colleges. One of the, it was one of the most fantastic things I, I've seen. He had, I think, about a dozen teams, and he had at least 50 to 60 college coaches. And they're small college coaches, but they got money too. The D2 schools, D3 schools, NAIA, they have some money. And, and they're on those recruiting budgets for those colleges are small. So if they can drive three, four hours to a high school showcase where you get Central Florida talent, they're, of course they're going to go because they can't fly out to get this and that, but it's a, it's a benefit for those coaches. And he saw that as, as a benefit, not even a moneymaker and did one um, up here at Showalter a couple years ago, a couple years in a row. But my point is, is that high school sports don't have that opportunity because it's school, it's school and community competition opposed to club. And it's, it's different. Wow. Yeah. That, I could see how that could be a challenge. That's crazy, man. Um, so, and, and it's funny thing you mentioned about, you know, kids that are maybe six, four, six, five, you know, playing basketball, you know, never, never touch the pigskin or put their never. hands on the ground. Never. I'm, I'm thinking about what you just said. And I'm thinking to myself, I would do whatever it takes to get those kids you just described on the line, hands on the ground, rushing the passer. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no reason. I know basketball is great, you know, but you can't they put all your it. eggs in one. Yeah, you, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Look at, look at uh, what's his name, Isaac Gates. Yeah. Uh, yeah, from San Diego. Look at, there's so many guys. You know that that you know. Look at Julius Peppers from back in the day. You know, there's so many guys who have you have that build. It's almost like, and you're athletic. It's almost like you're born. Antonio Gates played. Antonio, Antonio Gates, Gates played Antonio one. Gates, yeah. He played one year of uh, college football. College football. I mean, yeah. he, he's a basketball Tony player. Tony Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez. You know, yeah, he's a basketball player too. Yeah, all yeah, those guys. All those guys. And, man. But they don't. It's. But they don't. They don't see that. At the next level, there's certain things that you can't coach, and the kid, the coaches see it. Like you can't coach six five, six six. You know, you can't coach that at all. No. And so, but in this day and age, I think, I think it's be- my conspiracy theory is it's because of the clubs. The clubs will have a group of kids that'll do well, and you'll have some kids that are six three, six four that are playing center, playing power forward, and they're being successful. And they think they're going to get a basketball scholarship, but <laughs> at six four, six five, at sixteen, seventeen years old, you're not getting a basketball scholarship to play center at a Division one school. You're just not. No, basketball scholarships not. are are smaller anyway, and unless you're ungodly athletic at that at that height, and or you're just scoring every single point, then right. it, it's not happening. I've I've witnessed. I've been able to witness some of the best high school basketball players in the country, because when the rivers came through here, you know, Austin rivers, he was the, he was the best high school basketball player I've seen in person, hands down to this day. That's from what Stoudemire's been, he's a central Florida guy. Um, Gil kid, Gil Cress, he came through here, but Austin rivers, he was the best. He's all a six, five, you know, he, I, he's, uh, I'm about six, three and he looks about, he's about as tall as we are. He's just an inch taller or so or whatnot. He scored every point at will. And we have got kids here now that are his height, a little bit shorter, good high school basketball players, good high school basketball players. If they were to come out to football, put their hand on the ground or run around, I know. Forget it. 
I know. That's, that's I know. Not, it's yeah. So I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I, I, I can see how frustrating for you. I'm thinking of a kid right now that he uh, he's a senior, and I'm not going to yeah. say his name or anything like that. He it's if you if you were to look at him, you would say, "Oh, he's a Division One defensive end." You, it's anybody would, and but it's not to knock the kid, not by any means. But this day and age, I think I personally think it's because of club sports, club club basketball, because basketball club basketball is the biggest competition when it comes to football. Because football is only in high school, because there's no club, there's no club football anywhere. It's club basketball, soccer, volleyball, all of that. So, but so football's biggest competition are the club basketball players. You can find kids that are Division One corners, those long six two, six three ish, that can jump out the gym, and yeah, they're playing yeah. small four shooting guard. They're not going to play Division One basketball, play small four shooting guard, but they can play Division One corner and be safety. You, know, you think so, you but, think it's because um, you think it's because of the nature of football. You know, people say like people that play football, something's mentally wrong with them because you yeah. know something has to be wrong with you just to run full speed into somebody else. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, um, no, of, of course, absolutely. And on top of the science behind it, the the bad press, the concussions, and the injuries. CTE, yeah, yeah, yeah. CTE. Um, I, I think the the statistics are skewed in a sense to to discourage people from playing football. There's just as many injuries and, and whatnot. And if you look at the hockey statistics, you look at college cheerleading statistics, you look at other sports per player, you know, football is still one of the safest games to play. Lacrosse mm -hmm. is a dangerous sport. That's a contact. That's a collision sport, just as football is. And, and actually some of the best football players become the best college lacrosse players. A college lacrosse player they look like a division one defensive end and fullback and they're playing yeah. offense. They're playing attack, you know? Yeah. And the, the, the defenders are probably, you know, some of them are a bit like a three technique and those are division one players, you know? So the, um, the climate right now of football, it gets real bad press for the injury. So parents are very wary of it. They, you know, they don't want to put kids in pads. Um, but I'll tell any parent football is safe. Um, if, if the kid wants to play, you know, Correct. if it's not put in their head, if they're afraid to play, I don't care how big they are, then doesn't matter, yeah. that it, it doesn't matter. They, they don't want to yeah, play. Right. So yeah, it takes, <clears throat> it takes a special human being, a different mindset to play football. That's insane. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, football's a tough sport. It's not, it's not easy, right? It's tough. No. It's physical, just the training itself, going through practices. Is, I don't is know if you I don't know if you remember this. But but one of our travel games, Coach Chiswick gave us a um a, a speech, his pregame speech, and I'll never forget it. And I give it to some of my players to this day. He said that to play football, you have to be insane, and there are the numbers to prove it. Who you only have this year ten opportunities to play to play uh, your games. That's ten games that you have to play. So you're going to tell me. Who's going to train? Who's going to practice for 340 odd days just to have 10 opportunities 10 yeah. to play a game? You can play games. You can play basketball games anytime you want. Full court game, referees a whole bit. You can play baseball games, softball games, soccer games. You can play all those games your entire life. But in college, arguably, you have 10 games a year and you train all year long. It's insanity. The math doesn't add up. 
hours and hours yeah, and no. hours. No, it doesn't so. make any sense. It, it, it's it's no. one of those things when you think about it, and, and the toll on your body mm-hmm. in terms of the physical toll. So, yes, mentally, you have to be tough. Um, but some of these, I mean, some of these guys, I know what you're saying because I've seen them. Uh, some of these guys, it, it also factors into the position you play. Um, yeah. I think defensive ends these days with those builds, given the way football programs train nowadays, it's a lot more watered down. It's not the way it used to be. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, they could actually play those positions and not get a lot of wear. Um, right. Yeah, you know, if they're if they're if they're coached properly, right? You right, know, if they're coached properly. But defensive schemes have also catered to the um, the longevity of those kind of ends, and it started, yeah. I think, well, right, just around where we're in college. Because you look at the, I mean, Peppers played for. I think he's still playing. Uh, you know, Julius Peppers and the Julius um, Peppers, yeah. Uh, what's the other one? Um, Freeney had a long career. You know, Reggie had White had a long career back in the day, even though it was a little bit different. But um, what's also what I found out in our research and how how we do our, approach our strength conditioning is because of their age, we have to take into consideration their growth as a person, you know, because we get them at 14 and then they're 18 by the time we leave. Those are crucial years when it comes to how you teach them how to lift certain movements they can do, um, you know. To, to protect them. I think in college, they also have that growth. You get that man growth spurt between 19 and 21. So they're pumping them, pumping them, pumping them. So they get ready for the combine. And then in the pros, their push strength conditioning is just maintenance. It's injury prevention and maintenance. We start yeah. injury prevention now, so it's in their head. But also we have to deal with, you know, their kids that, um, you know, we do – We'll squat, but we teach them how to squat in a certain way. And we don't really go heavy until towards our, you know, they have like three months worth of load on their posterior chain before they can get the heavy load, especially freshmen. Freshmen, they don't even put a weight on the bar until um, I'd say about, we'll, we'll go through two cycles and we'll do 12 week cycles. So probably about the second go around with the cycle is when we'll start to put real heavy load. You know, you're getting up to 70, 80 percent of their one rep max just because they're not built for it yet. They're just kids. They're, you know, skinny, wobbly legs going through puberty. Their hips are changing and they don't. But what we we do have a big focus on lower back maintenance, the hamstring maintenance, the hips, the flexibility, because that's just safety. You know, we've been fortunate enough. Our, our weight room, nobody really knows it. It's the largest high school weight room in the state of Florida. It's built like a Division really? One weight room. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. T- I'll take some pictures and I'll text them to you. It's hands down. It's 4,400 square feet. And we were fortunate to. Um, I designed it with our head coach and our, our weightlifting coach, and it's um it's a fantastic facility. And the idea behind it was, you know, the focus on strength and conditioning to prevent injuries, to to build and and condition. You know, for all the sports, you know, it's yeah. Let me let me ask you about that because even in even when we played, you were always you know into the science of you know strength and conditioning and the way you lift and working out and all that stuff. Some coaches, I've seen, actually subscribe to what you said in terms of 
being able to make sure that the fundamentals are down packed for strength and conditioning before you actually start packing on the weights and you know even when they do pack on the weights they do it systematically not to the point where they're actually breaking down the athlete because the end goal is to get the athlete in a certain shape to perform right, right. not to you know these days sometimes you see situations where <clears throat> they force the lift it breaks down tendons and ligaments athlete spends more time yeah trying to recover from it's kind of, working it's kind out of yeah yeah it's so kind of go ahead yeah. yeah it's kind of, if you that that bothers me because first of all program design is the first thing you should think about when strength conditioning because so what are they training for you know you have they have certain goals they need to meet because you don't want them doing things that's not going to translate onto whatever their sport is it doesn't make any sense and so you will, you'll have those coaches that, and in the weight room, you do have to do, I'm a firm believer. I call it dessert because it's the best part of the meal, but that's the finisher, you know, in CrossFit, they have the finishers to where yeah. you burn out your, you know, it's the end of the workout. You just, that's where the toughness is grown. So we'll do that's towards the end. And it's, it's mentally, but you also do it with movements that aren't, that aren't going to put those kind of strain on those muscles and tendons. You know, you want the right. muscles to recover. You don't want the tendons and ligaments to break down and take that kind of stress and the joints, you know, back problems are huge where people where the back squat is almost going to be obsolete in a couple of years. Yeah. So our approach is they have to learn their body before they can grow their body. You can't just tell the kid, all right, let's put on, you have a you have a freshman, a high school freshman. He's 14, 15 years old. You want to want to put on 135, and he's never squatted before in his life. That doesn't the only squat he does is when he sits down and stands up from the toilet. And now you have these kids, and then anatomically everybody's built different. Not everybody's hips are the same. The flexibility right. in their ankles are different. You know, so we teach the kids. I teach weightlifting, so during the days I have seven periods of weights, and that's when I take the opportunity to you know, teaching the science behind it because that's, that's where they can get the knowledge and then they can take it from whether a varsity athlete or just a regular kid. But there, there's, there's no sense in me teaching a, um, let's see, uh, uh, how you say, I lost my train of thought. Like, uh, my, my big takeaway is whatever their sport is, it needs to translate into what they're doing in the weight room. Okay. Right. Because uh, end goal is, is to, and it's cyclical It's cyclical for their season, their season and their off season, their preseason different. So those kind of phases we take into consideration, you know, I'll give the, there's a base of movements that you can give the kids a core list a bench squat, power clean and deadlift. We can give all of them, baseball players, cheerleaders, lacrosse players, football players, you can give them all the same core lifts because that explosiveness, speed and power is across the board in the sports. But, you know, it might not be as prevalent in, say, cross country, you know, or in, you know, the, the, the track, the distance guys or um, <clears throat> the, uh, the soccer players. The soccer players, I didn't teach them. They're, they weren't necessarily power cleaning. Um, I had them hang clean quite a bit with lighter weight and I wanted to see their hips and their hamstrings get stretched out real nice. Cause you know, the hamstring injuries in soccer, those that's, that's yeah. millions of dollars that people lose and yeah. flexibility. One, yeah. Yeah. So, and then 
the big the biggest um aside from the core list that we teach the yeah. big big thing that we're big on is recovery is teaching them how to recover so they can perform at a high high level high you level. believe it or not yeah. the young club kids the first thing they'll tell me is not coach i can't work out today i got practice i said what you can't work out today is here so so you're going to tell me you can't work out now and then recover in five hours when your practice is? Well, what do you mean? I said, you're going to rest for five hours. You know, you'll be walking around and stuff, but you have to be able to train and practice at the same time. Practice isn't when you get stronger and bigger and faster. That's where you hone your skills and you condition. You, you learn your movements. You, you work out to be bigger, faster, stronger and be physically better. You know, so for whatever reason, this culture, this this age group, the high school level, they don't they don't quite see that. I think that's why a lot of kids miss out. Because now you have kids that they're marginal athletes, they're pretty good. But if they were to train to catch up to the physically gifted kids, because some kids are just born, they're just fast. They're just born fast, they're born strong, and they have to work out a little bit. And you have other kids that work out hard. I think I was one of the ones that I overworked my natural talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that work ethic, some people have to put in more than the ones that can just show up and they can clock a four, four or bench, you know, 400 pounds. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's interesting that's though. I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of look at it and you're like, Hmm. I, I remember listening to, God, what was I listening to this guy? He's a coach. He was talking about, um, NFL athletes, and he said, it's funniest thing, he said the guys who are the best on the field weren't the best in the weight room. Like they lifted, but they spent more time honing their skills. So he mm -hmm. changed his, you know, strength and conditioning regimen to kind of get guys stronger, but also created it in such a way where those guys were able to um also hone their talent um and improve their skills because if they spend all their time weightlifting and not actually sharpening their their their, their craft then you know essentially they're training to become weightlifters not training to become you know right. football what? players or soccer players or, or basketball players or whatever the case oh yeah i remember why i heard it now it was faraz Zerhavi, you know the mma coach that uh coaches uh gsp or that I used to train GSP. He I'm was not, quoting, not, yeah. yeah, he was quoting um, this guy, this NFL coach working with athletes, and said, "Listen, if you're a coach and you spend all your time, even if you're a strength and conditioning coach, doing strength and conditioning, like what you said, if it's not sport specific, if you're not doing things that are central to the sport, then what's the point? Um, if you're training a football player, training a soccer player, and you're not trying to improve their footwork in one way or the other. You're not, right. you're not trying to improve their agility. What's the point? You're really not preparing them for the sport. You know, if you just get right. them big and strong, like tree stumps, it's, <laughs> it's going to take away from it, the yeah, sport. Yeah, it's right. <clears throat> and, there, and that was the fun. That was the fun I had with, um, mm -hmm. with the different programs because I was a gym rat, but then also I would learn the sport. Like I take, for instance, um, when I did strength conditioning for the cheerleaders, it yeah. was, you know, you go in there and you think, well, what are they lifting weights for? They need to, cheerleaders need to rep and rep and rep 
their their movements, their stunts. The stunts are where it's all about, where they're lifting the girls all kind of which way. Mm-hmm. All right, well, how can we get them better at, you know, their lifting? Well, because their technique naturally was just like, for instance, a, a, um, a side base has to turn the foot and essentially do a snatch. So I had a couple regimens of workouts. It was our landmines. We have landmine presses in here. The landmine press is it's an explosive movement that can help them catch the foot, turn the foot, all kind of things. So to his point, you, you have to train in the weight room what you're going to do on your competition field. Otherwise, yeah, you're wasting your time. Lacrosse players. We, When I was a, I was a coach of lacrosse, I was a head JV coach for about six or seven years or so here. And the first thing I saw, I said, you know, these kids are skilled um, because they've been, they've had a stick and a ball and they've been doing it for, I don't know how long, but they're just not very athletic. So, okay, well, let's, let's do a county fair. And so we had a weight room group. We had an outside group and we had a, a wall group. I had them doing a hundred. It's a wall ball. They just take the ball and they just throw it up against the wall a hundred times on the right, a hundred times on the left. And it's, it's typical lacrosse training. You know, at practice, they'll, they'll hit the wall, but that's something like, you know, jump shots. Like if you can't throw and catch them across, you can't play the game. Well, when you start timing it and you start um, giving it in part of the workout opposed to practice, now you're maximizing the training timing. You know, then we go into the weight room and now we can work on their their shoulder work, you know, the exterior and posterior deltoids, their lower back, the, the squats, explosiveness. You can work that part. And then outside, it's just plain old sprinting, you know, so. Yeah. So I think the good strength coaches, they get that and they're going to train. They're going to find movement. That's also the fun strength condition. You can make up stuff left and right to get them tired. But as long as it translates to the field or you can justify that translate out to the field or the court or wherever, it's gold. It's great. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. What was it like? um, What was it like coaching cheerleading? Was it challenging? Was it? Did they they ask to listen? What was that? Because it took me about a year to to change my mindset coaching girls are it's the only reason it's different is because people think you have to coach differently because you're coaching girls once Mm. you treat it you just treat them the same that's all they want so whether it's a girl or guy you're going to do the same thing that i think is going to make you a better athlete and once they see that man you should see my girls in the weight room it was, I mean, they're push pressing, they're front squatting, they're power cleaning, they're, and it's a really? high school level now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, cool. they, they would bench press, and then, you know, we, um, one of one of our, the other, the head weight division coach, he brought in our, um, we have an Excel spreadsheet that we use that's, um, it makes the percentages for them on our core lifts. So your bench squat and power clean, you, when you input their one rep max, it gives the percentages for the weeks and has the intensification phase, etc. But when the girls see that, they feel as though because nobody's going to treat them like that for whatever reason, you know. So when you give them their bench stuff and they learn it, it's like any kid. They see that they can see the growth, they see the gains. You know, week one when they're doing ten, eight, six, four, or their one rep max, and they finish their set of four with sixty-four percent of one rep max. By week six, when they're doing 75, 85% are one rep max. And they see the growth. They see that they were benching 90 pounds a month ago 
and now they're benching 135 pounds, they light up <laughs> when they go onto the mat, when things feel different, when they're in better shape, they loved it. And it's, um, but the sport is like, it's like being introduced to any new sport. I had no idea this world existed. You know, the competitions <laughs> are all day long. And when you think about it, it's the routines are two and a half minutes. They're clocked. And the amount of training and time and, time and the room for error to do well, it's outrageous. It's two and a half wow. minutes they get. And that's it. You'll, you can train. They'll train for like between regionals and state competition. You know, we'll have maybe 10 days. And you have to make sure the routine hits the scorecard because it's all about scoring points. The judges up there, they all they all score a different portion of the routine. So one looking at stunts, one looking at the dance, one's looking at um, the, um, the tumbling, one's looking at the you know all different parts of it, and to make it less subjective. So when you see what the scorecard is. You, as a coach, you have to maximize a scorecard. So you don't want to do stunts that don't score points for you. Correct. So <laughs> that's where the coaching comes in. Our coach, she, she's taught me so much with that and maximizing the score sheet at the highest level. So they, it, it was real interesting, man. And it's still, it's a, it's still a point. It's a numbers game. It's, it's all about the points. So you don't want to, you know, and the big conflict in that to where, Nationals, you know, they have they have nationals, they have states. FHSA sanctioned as a sport, so you have a state competition. But then after the state competition, they the high school teams can opt to go to the national competition, which is a big deal. Well, the national score sheet and the high school score sheet is different, so you have six seven days to virtually change a third of your entire routine to oh. meet the national score sheet. And that's difficult to do. It's, it's almost hard to ask. It's like yeah. it's like saying that, okay, you're going to have a playoff game on Friday, okay, against a wing T team. But then on Tuesday, you're going to have to go up against a pro team, a pro style <laughs> team. And then on Friday, you're going to have to go up against a 22 personnel, 21 personnel team. No, come it's, on. Yeah. yeah. So, so man, it's I, I enjoyed my time w with that because just learning different athletes and different types of sports and the recruiting part of it. Recruiting is is is, is it's crazy. We had, um, we've had a Division One recruit the past. We had a string of about six that went to pretty good schools and they got some money and or they got on the sideline. There's a sideline cheer competition cheer. We had one at UCF right now. We had one that just finished with a national championship at West Georgia. One was on the sideline for um, University of Miami for four years. So it, it was a very, very successful program. And it's um, it was real interesting to get involved with that sport. You know what? That speaks to your versatility, though. Because I'll be honest with you, not a lot of guys I know can coach football, weightlifting, soccer, and cheerleading at the same time. <laughs> you know it, you know it, and I know. Not very few guys we know could just make that kind of transition. Some guys, I, a lot of guys I know. I mean, they're great coaches, great coaches, yeah. and, but they can't. They can if they're not coaching young men, they can't coach women. They, can't, they, they can't. just can't. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I see it. You know, <laughs> so, and I think I think I personally think it speaks to the coach's versatility. I think, I think coaches should be able to do that yeah. because. 
you have to be able to adapt to different athletes, regardless mm -hmm. of gender. I think it's important, but you know, at this, you know, it's at this level also because the pay isn't very good, and mm -hmm. you really have to have a passion and knowledge for it. Yeah. The what we struggle with also are assistants that will coach the freshmen. You know, nobody wants to coach a freshman, but that is the most important part of your program because freshman football is your foundation. So right. if you if you put in uh, just any old body, you know, because we'll get upwards. to It's always the largest team and it's always the largest fan base um, as far as parents go, not just fans, but parents, because they want to see their their baby play high school football. Mm -hmm. Well, if we don't take care of the freshmen with quality coaching, organization, um, they'll quit. <clears throat> and around here, you can't afford that. You can't afford to lose kids that early because if they're if they're um, if they get a bad taste in their mouth and they're on the fence, then that's it. You're, you're sunk. Your your school is sunk and your program is sunk. So yeah, let me give you um, a good comparison based on that. The uh, some European countries, specifically, I think the Dutch and maybe some parts of Belgium, they in soccer, they get their best coaches to coach youth soccer. Yes, yes. So, because so uh, you know they stay. One thing they've done, especially the Belgians. I know. I recently I attended the um, Ontario Soccer Summit, and it was actually held in uh, Hamilton, Ontario. And this guy came in from the Belgian Soccer Federation. Uh, Belgian Football Federation, that's what they call it. But then, um, you know, he was talking about how they changed their philosophy for coaching countrywide. So Oof. they came up with a structure. Yeah, they came up with a framework. They said, this is how we're going to coach. This is how we're going to develop our players. And this is what we're going to do to be successful. And they implemented it around the entire country. Now, given Belgium is a very small country, but every single soccer club because you have to get licensed under the federation so mm. as you're getting licensed or retrained you're being retrained through that same philosophy this is yeah. what we do That's this is how we train players and the one thing they focused on was increasing creativity of players giving players the ability before the age of 10 they don't play full-sided games they don't no. play like 11 11 they don't play any structured games they give them the ability to be creative. They let kids be kids. They let them run around, let them come up with things on their own, but create a really fun environment for them. Yeah. So that way, you know, they it's, become, and, you know, and then when they cross over 11, 12, they get into a situation where those coaches now start fo focusing on the fundamentals, the ability to do those things exceptionally well. Yeah. So you, you see these guys now, by the time they turn 17, 18, they spent how many years going through top quality coaching of fundamentals? You see them at 17, my God, he's, a, he's an 18-year-old phenom. But you have no idea the level of attention to detail that they went, in, went through just to get them to that level. And then because they were able to be creative as a young kid, they could combine the two and you have this world-class player yes. that you see on the world stage, whether it's <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne or Hazard. Yeah, you'd be wondering, how do they get so good? All right, so if you look at, like, what you're saying, it's important because if you get a freshman team, you need to be able to get guys in there to do it. But those guys, because those freshman players are going to eventually move up to varsity, those mm -hmm. guys have to have the same philosophy 
that you guys have a varsity yeah. and have to implement it to these guys to make sure that if you have a freshman player that goes through freshman, by the time it comes to varsity, all right, look, I'm not going to be teaching you, you know, mm -hmm. if you're a defensive end, how to get in a proper stance. You should have exactly. learned that already, you know. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and that translates. And I think <clears throat> to your point, that's one of the key things of building a strong program, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's what and in the, at the high school level, it's it's very, very difficult. There are certain areas that are better than others because the Pop Warner team, because there's no junior high football, the mm -hmm. Pop Warner teams are kind of that thing because if that city has a pop warner team then the thought process is well the pop warner coaches the high school coaches some of them some of the high school coaches will coach on the pop warner teams mm -hmm. in the springtime because they have the time to do it um but creating that culture early is huge to so they understand that so everything from the terminology to the the system all that's important but the most important thing is make sure they have fun Make sure they have fun in a in a winter park jersey from six to sixteen to eighteen. Whatever their experience may be, and it's a family experience too. Because the the at this level in the high school realm, I mean, the whole family is part of it because there's pickup and drop off. There's you know there's a uh, the the families have to make certain sacrifices to you know change dinner time because if they have a practice, it's a you know, six, seven o'clock, you know, not everybody's there for dinner because mom, dad has to take whomever to practice and Correct. you don't want to drag all of them to practice. So it's a, it's a family decision and coaching youth sports. That's part of it. You know, I, I think a good session clinic, whatever you want to say when it comes to coach to training coaches is how to provide a good experience and not just the X's and O's, but the experience of just being out there. Because again, if you, you, if you have a guy that can teach the fun that's knowledgeable and they can't make it fun, the kid's not going to stay or they're going to lose interest. And it, 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 it's, that's, that's one of the things that we make a big, a big push for and, and, and youth and just have fun with it. You know, when I took over the wrestling program, it was the culture here was, there were, there was nothing. There were no, there's no wrestling program. I did it as a favor to our AD because it, the nobody wanted to do it for whatever reason, and so it's been like that for a long time. Wrestling's never been really big since since the 80s, um, around here. And when I when I took it over, I got an assistant coach who's very knowledgeable in the sport, um, but he's now faculty, so he's not on campus. So put out some flyers and got him in there and I say, listen, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go out there. We're gonna work hard. We're gonna teach you about the game, the the sport, and we're gonna have fun. You know, I told them our banquet. Our banquet was having some pizza and going to play paintball. And it, it's you know we have, it, but that's part of the experience. If you have a kid, and these are freshmen, I'm talking. These are 14 year olds. If I'm telling them that, because a wrestling tournament, I don't know if, if you're familiar, wrestling tournaments are all weekend. It's from if you have a two day IBT individual bracket tournament, you have the first two rounds on a Friday after school. And then you have the next rounds and the wrestlebacks on Saturday. So that's from three to about six to seven on a Friday afternoon. And then you have from eight till about four or five o'clock on Saturday. The sport is unforgiving. It's like track. 
you know, the track meets are all day long. All day long, yeah. Yeah. So, and then you're getting in there to potentially train all week long in the sweat and, and rubbing up on people and all this kind of stuff. Then you're sitting around waiting for your, your weight class to be up, for your match to come up. And your match comes up, and now you get beaten 10 seconds, or there's some people that are hot after that. I'm talking about get pinned. It's just you and the other person, and you get pinned in 10 seconds. That's not. That's another sport that we that we would talk about. It's unforgiving. So how do you make it more inviting to kids that just want to try something else? You know, are they going to be Division One? They're going to go to Iowa and, and Nebraska and Penn State to wrestle? Probably not. But could they have a good time wrestling and? and provide for the program to where the program at this level can be good and have some success. Yeah, of course. You know, after my second year as state qualifier, the Metro champion um, this year, now all those guys are now juniors because I had them as freshmen. So mm-hmm. now I have a collection of kids. <clears throat> I had was fortunate to have some guys transfer in because they saw what we're doing with the program. Um, and it's, it's hopefully – Minus COVID, we duck and dodge the the cancellations and stuff. We'll have a pretty good team and still have some fun. You know, teach them the mm-hmm. fundamental, teach them how to uh, to just have a good experience, and that's what the youth coaches could benefit from because now you have the kid longer if they're having fun. Absolutely, and they develop a passion for the game. You know, yes. without question. Yeah. So you know, I could talk to you for hours, man. I know you. I know you got a bunch yeah, of brother, other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I but. Hope, I hope at least hit what you're looking for. I hope it gave you enough. No, time. no, absolutely. You, you, you know, I, I could keep talking to you, but I want to learn more about your your nonprofit, man. You know, All right. what you guys um, do. And <laughs> yeah, the Army of Angels. Um, it's starting. I, I saw my, I saw uh, one of your pieces on on, on uh, online on social media. Um, yeah, and, my and, wife, my uh, my wife. We actually met through assisting a student. He was a young kid who had a. Um, kind of a broken home, and she kind of mentored him and looked after him and, and got him to support. I'm telling you, she is Mother Bear and the bride from Kill Bill wrapped into one. And she and and her and I both had a passion for kids, for athletes that, um, you know, to give them a good experience. He played basketball, yeah. and she was working at the middle school, and I was here at the high school, and she was the one that showed up to the information meeting. She was the email I would send. And, um, we met and, um, you know, one thing led to another and now we're married and, and then it opened up to, um, just helping other kids. It was one of her former students, um, whose uh, mother passed away and he was, he was homeless as of the 10th grade and he didn't play sports, but I, you know, I knew him cause I was an administrator at the time and she looked after him and whatnot. We get a phone call. Um, and he, he was just getting out of jail. Uh, he was in, living in a group home, got into an incident, he was in jail. He had nobody to call except his eighth grade math teacher. At that point, he was a was a couple years later, so he was already out of school, yeah. but didn't finish. He didn't finish his high school diploma because he had dropped out and ended up going to jail. So we we started the foundation for sorry, the foundation for the foundation, the nonprofit with with him. And helping him, we reached out to the community and we found out that in communities you have, you know, hundreds of people that are willing to help, but just don't have the the knowledge or or how to help. You know, they're willing. 
they just don't know. And she was the Pied Piper that can get them all together. And between me being from the community and her steadfastness and, and, and the way we are, we just work together to reach out to our contacts and got him on his feet and then got his high school diploma and, and moved on. And then we kind of expanded it during COVID with um, uh, delivering groceries to our uh, at-risk and needy students. We had a bunch of athletes and students. We know that, okay, so the school shuts down. The school is where they get their three free meals, you know. And that, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy, isn't it? That they yeah, come to school to they come to school they, just they to school have meals, right? Because they know they know they have a nurse on campus. They know that they're gonna get three free meals, and they come home. They do or don't have to eat, or the parent doesn't have to worry about feeding them. So that's their primary source of everything as a school. Well, now they have to be at home. The home could be where the abuse happens. The home could be where there's nobody there. There's it's you know. So we found out that we first found the homeless kids, and we just reached out to the community and said, hey, can you deliver some groceries or, or whatnot? And then it blew up to where we were delivering grocery boxes to, we were doing close to, we would pack a week's worth of groceries to families and then the volunteers would come and deliver the boxes. Um, we were doing upwards to 150 to 200 boxes um, a week easily. You know, there we had days of like, we were packing 70, 60 boxes a day during COVID. And um, once it started, it kind of tapered off towards the summer months and we said, hey, we have something here. And we knew school's gonna start back up. It was the same sort of thought processes. Like, you know, my wife, she came with the idea of clothes, you know, school supplies, you know, these kids are going back to school, don't have anything. So we collected school supplies, still delivering groceries. We have a partnership with the Boys and Girls Club to where we'll, we box 200 boxes for them every week and then our volunteers and the Boys and Girls Club, they deliver it to their sites because they were still open and they can hand them out to their families. Um, so their families get groceries on the weekends. And, but we rate, we collect devices, clothes, and we get them delivered out to the needy families in the area. And it's really just <clears throat> together the willingness of the community and organizing it to where they'll, uh, they'll help. You know, because there's there's always a need. There's always a kid that would need something. A good collection of them were my athletes, you know, on both sides. My athletes have been and the athletes of the school. They've been volunteers because it's kid driven. The kids come, they pack the boxes, they deliver the boxes. They um, sometimes they need the boxes of whatever it may be from devices to, like I said, clothes to uh, groceries. So, um it's uh, it's been awesome. I'm, I'm telling you, she is no, she's, just, she's an inspiration. She puts me in the right direction, and we're, you know, she's an administrator at the high school, and and um, between both our full time jobs and the the um, you know, my sports, I'm I'm this year and the past couple of years, football, wrestling, and weightlifting. Those are that's what I'm signed up for, um, and so my time is is limited, and I I kind of just. <laughs> She's a mastermind, and I just uh, I just make the phone calls. I list them heavy stuff and deliveries, and um, it's been great, you know. So oh, we had a student, uh, one of my football players. She mentored, and one of our volunteers helped get. And he goes to the fam. That was a um, another good story. He, um, you know, he had 
minimal help from, he was the first in his family to go to college. Um, she worked with him throughout the school year. He played football. They transferred over here. Um, and he just had never been around this type of community. He was at another high school, but the mom moved because her job was closer and the school yeah. was great. So he benefited from getting to know my wife and he was a volunteer for her. And we got him, he got into fam on some scholarship money and um, he was planning on walking on in the spring when they have their, uh, their season, but just got him out with stuff for, his freshman year in college, you know, and the family is, they do the best they can, but they couldn't, you know, how it is your first year in college as a freshman, those things you need, he didn't even know he needed them. He didn't know he needed shower shoes. He didn't know he needed, um, uh, what a microwave can do a, yeah, yeah. Supplies. you know, we got him on, you know, we had a uh, volunteer donate a laptop, you know, he, he had a school device, but once he finished with high school, he has to give it back. So now he needs a laptop just for life, you know. So, um, so it was a good story to help help um, help that student. And there's more to come. It's uh, no, you know, you guys are doing fantastic work. I tell you what, there's there's people. Um, a lot of people don't like underestimate the number of people in need out there, um, even in in communities where you you wouldn't think that people are. Um, Mm-hmm. You see it, and my my experience in the United States, at least in Central Florida, was when I was at Jones, um, yeah. and um, there were a number of kids that I dealt with that. You know, it's uh, you know what's what's uh, <laughs> at Jones. Jones has a has a great community following. Historically, you know, the people that yeah. went to Jones they love Jones, but can they give back and can they donate back to Jones? Not, no, they can't. You know, but the yeah. pride is there. And the the work ethic is there to help those kids yeah. do the for those kids. So they clean up the school, they take care of the school. It's a Title One school, so it gets federal funding. Now you go to a school like Winter Park in an affluent community, nobody would really know that you know it has a forty percent minority population. You know, no, you yeah, a large percentage of um, you know Hispanic kids, Black kids. Um, there's a good percentage of. Um, because of the uh, ELA program, we have, you know, Asian, it's an IB school, so that's international baccalaureate. So you have those small pockets of cultural, kid, French, Russian, Vietnamese, um, South American kids that see, oh, well, I can, if I get an IB diploma, I can go back home. And now I have that degree from the United States to, to go on. But those families struggle. They struggle to provide for their kids, um, you know, world-class education. And we, one wouldn't think of it at Winter Park, but what yeah. we have is, is a community that they're willing to help, man. They, they, they come out of everywhere. And I've seen some, I mean, I grew up in this community, so it's, you know, my parents did a great, they, they did well for themselves and I was fortunate to, to grow up here, but, the help that these people are willing to give. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. I have a parent right now that's working on our students, helping with our seniors and their applications. And she's just paying the application fee. There's some students that don't apply for school because of the application fee. Application fee. Yeah. That's insane. But, you know, we have parents that are willing to, you know, it's the first thing she said. She said, I'll help with their applications. I don't care. I'll just pay for it. You know, we can do, three, four students 
I mean, three or four applications for a, a family ends up being upwards to 180 to almost $200 just to apply. And the willingness of her to say that is just unbelievable. And we see that day in and day out. So um, it's, we're, yeah. we're lucky. No, you guys are I'm doing lucky. great work. No, you're I'm doing lucky great to work. Have my wife, Kate, Kathleen, <laughs> you're going to watch this. I love you. It's, um, yeah, it's great work. Nah, man, we all we all need women like that in our lives because if not, we'll be a mess, anyways. Oh, uh, yeah. oh yeah, more than more than a mess. I might be living with you if if. That's <laughs> nah, man. Listen, Craig, appreciate it, homie. I I really do. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, when this thing passes, I'll come down to Orlando to kick it with you guys, man. But definitely, thanks again, uh, for doing this and um. And you know what? I'm actually going. To, is, is your season over? I need to follow you guys to see exactly. No, no, on. we um, we're it's a it's amended. We have no bye week, so tonight we have a game um, because it's Columbus Day tomorrow. So we're, we're off from school. We play tonight. It's a big game, big rivalry. You can live stream all the games. They, oh really? Uh, they, yeah, the county set it up because of COVID. Um, yeah. The, Who are you guys uh, playing? We're playing Timber Creek. Oh yeah, they have good facilities. They still have good facilities. I remember when the school, it was brand new. They had this beautiful turf field, fantastic weight room, everything. Where? At our place? No, at Timber Creek. Timber Creek. They haven't gotten turf yet, but it was brand new around that time. Oh, yes, yeah. because it was just built, and they, um, they're still – that was the model, the OCPS model of that generation of schools. So – it's still the campus is still is nice. It's getting older now. Now it's I mean campus is. It's been some time, yeah, but twenty twenty, but, but but still, yeah, that that was the new model. Um, it's uh, it, it's funny what they put focus on generationally, you know, when it comes to facilities, and that's another mm -hmm. conversation we can talk about some other time. But it's um, when the park's got the best, we we got turf out. Uh, we we rent it. We have a partnership with the city. We have turf field. 4,400 square feet weight room. Our practice field is natural grass. It's beautiful. So, but yeah. it's uh, natural grass is the best, though. It is. It is. It is. When it's cared it. for. When it's cared for. Yeah. That's one of the things in public schools. We um, I cut the grass. Me and two other coaches. We cut our practice field, line it, cut it, aerate it, seed it, all of that. So. Goodness, Craig, is there anything you don't do at that school? <laughs> <laughs> I don't make much money at this school. That's what. <laughs> Your free clothes. Yeah, free you're clothes putting in the, you're putting you're putting in the equity, brother. That's all that matters. Oh, I see it. That's yes. right. Go night. We're back. <laughs> That's doing well. That's doing well. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the pub, man. Nah, this is bro. great. Uh, you're doing great things. Keep it up internationally. I always, I still I'll tell my friends to, to check out my international friend, and um, I'll keep following you, man. Don't be a stranger. You know where to find me. Yeah, of course. You know, I'll be down there, man. I'll come kick it with you guys. Thanks again, brother. Yeah, man. All right, man. Bye. Yeah.